common name. I've diagnosed some people. I think it's been pretty accurate. Definitely done my fair share of psychiatry work. I've prescribed a few pills, you know. Crime and me. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Criminy. We're on week 52, even what though mom's going to argue with us. <laughs> okay, so there are more than 52 episodes because we split up episodes, <laughs> but this is the 52nd one that we have recorded together. So right? technically, we've been doing it for a whole fucking year. That's amazing. This has gone by fast. There are so many people I'd like to thank. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What a year it has been. I can't think of one thing. I can't. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) we were watching uh, one of the like later episodes of SNL and they did like the whole, you know, what's going to happen at gatherings after the pandemic. And one dude's like, do I have brain damage? Like, I think I have brain damage, like, in his head. And I think that, like, all the time where I I mix up words, I use, yep. like, the wrong words for things. I, like, can't think of anything. People are like, oh, what'd you do, like, today? And yeah, I'll be like, like I'm no drawing way. a blank. Like, what day I have is no it? Fucking what idea. month is it? Yes. I have no idea. I don't know. It's, it's insane. Bad. I just feel like – and then, like, for school and stuff, I have, like, interviews coming up. And then it's like, I don't know how I'm going to, like, pull this shit off because <laughs> – they're going to be like, oh, what are you interested in? I'm going to be like, I have, I, uh, wor- I don't know words. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, uh, watched a bunch of movies. I have no idea what they were. Like, what experience do you have? I, uh, I like literally can't remember what I did earlier today. So I have no idea what I've experienced in the past, like 30 years. I don't know. After that's a whole year and we're professionals. <laughs> yeah. I just shoved a pillow behind my monitor, uh, hoping that catches some of my echoing because I am. We're still I figuring just everything Just rearranged out. this room and I feel like there's going to be some echoing and I need more wall hangings is what I think. Yes. Way more wall hangings. I can make you some uh, macrame wall hangings if you like. Wow. That's going to be a yeah. huge wall hanging. <laughs> I could do it. I could do it. So, yeah, 52. I mean, I was like a sea of masks and um, a lot of a lot of Dungeons and Dragons for me. A lot. An, a, an excessive amount, but is there really too much? I don't think so. I couldn't say. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so also after a year, you'd think that we'd have things more dialed in. I think we're doing like a little bit better than when we started. This is... Hopefully. You know? I mean, we like, we're like, you know, make sure the mic's on. That's a good thing. Uh, we actually have things to record ourselves now. On like, uh, I was remembering the first episode and I was like literally picking up my computer and everything and like walking from like room to room to try and like get into a quiet space. And then for a minute, I like went outside and like just thinking about all the noise. Yeah. Just I mean, thinking about like all the things there. that we like that that we didn't know about and that we were doing like before we got mics, like we were recording it all on our phones and just like, Oh my yeah. God. Just what trying to think idiots. of it. It was like so funny. No, well we were trying to do it all for free, which we still are because we're not getting paid to do this. Yeah. So yeah. We've invested some money, but we're trying to keep We've it We've invested minimal. our money and our time and 
We get nothing in return. So much time. <laughs> well, we get a good story and some we hangout do time get between a good, the two of us. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been yeah. nice. It's so fun to tell you <laughs> fucked up things. <laughs> well, speaking of, are you ready for mine? Yes. Okay, I got my information from mentalfloss.com, Murderpedia, and examinerlive.co.uk. Ooh, UK. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, all right. Mary Harker was born to a North Yorkshire farmer and his wife around 1768. Whoa, old school, old time. Lots going of way beige. back in a lot time. Of, a lot of browns and beiges in clothing, I would imagine. I feel like beige would be risky because you want like dark colors. I feel uh, like there's like a lot of like staining happening. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Just thinking of like the streets where there's like literally human Shit. and animal feces. Yes. And it's and the then, UK, like, so it's kinda like foggy and dreary, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh-huh. just thinking like, and then it's probably like a lot of soot from like fire places. Yeah, that's and why I'm stuff. thinking like like beiges, taupes, if you will. I'm thinking browns, like dark browns and blacks, blacks and grays, and yeah, Minimal everything whites. is kind of sepia tone. What are you bleaching? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Mary's parents were well respected, and her childhood was comfortable. But she developed a love of stealing. Well, it is fun. And she was, like, so bad about stealing that her parents basically entered her into domestic service at the age of 12 to try and, like, get her to stop stealing. Oh, they were like, she's well, clearly. Like, now she has a whole house that's no one's watching her and she can well, just go yeah. pocketing all the spoons and things. Yeah, well, her parents weren't thinking about that. No. They were like, oh, like, you she know. She just needs some back-breaking work yeah, to get her Yeah, she just needs some structure straight. and <laughs> some discipline. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So obviously, like you said, it's not going to go well. <laughs> As one 1811 account of her life put it, she was of a knavish and vicious disposition. Vicious? Oh, my God. Yeah. So soon people were like onto her stealing, obviously. So she like kept moving from job to job because she would get to a new house and then start stealing. And then, you know, they catch her and then she'd move to another one. And eventually her reputation kind of preceded her. So it was impossible to get a job at all because they're like, oh, you're that thief? No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So. To escape her reputation, she moved to York in 1787. And again, this is like old timey, so the dates are Mm -hmm. questionable, you know, so bear with me. (laughs) So she wasn't even there for a year when she was found stealing from her mistress. And then she was forced to run off to Leeds without getting her money or her clothes. Well, I mean, I think (laughs) I think you stole enough to not get your money or your are she running naked? Are these just extra clothes? I think just like you know her one extra yeah. outfit. The yeah. I'm surprised she even has like an extra outfit, really. Well, you need you know a church going outfit, oh, and then true. your regular old working indentured, outfit, indentured servant outfit. Right, domestic. What would they call it? Domestic service outfit. I mean, okay. What I don't know. No, I was gonna say. I, it might be a stupid question, but does that mean that she's being paid or she's not? 
Yeah, so she's getting paid, but I don't think she's getting paid very much. Well, yeah, they're probably and they're probably taking out room and board fees and all that. Well, I think stuff, it's like but... the the French sisters that you talked about, where yeah, they had like the, the half day off, yeah. you know, like that kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they like literally work for twenty hours a day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know what she was doing, but anyway, she was caught stealing. Which what did she steal that was so big that she like literally had to run away right then and there? I just imagine her, like, she's, like, holding a thing, and the mistress comes in, she, like, drops it and just runs. She's, like, okay. She's just, like, dragging, uh, I don't know like what carpet. people have in those houses. Yeah, just a huge carpet that's, like, rolled up, and she's just Taking down a chandelier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to her room. Yeah. Sneaking off with it. I, yeah, I don't know. miss this. So, in Leeds, she managed to find work as a seamstress through a friend of her mother's, and... I guess she was, like, really good at it. She stayed there for three years, and she was, like, doing pretty well. Mm. And then, as a couple of other Yorkshire women did at the time, she had her side hustle mm. as a witch. Ooh, that's a cool hustle. So this is the story of the Yorkshire witch, by the way. Sick. And she could make yeah. herself some, like, witchy outfits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stitch up a pointy hat. Mm-hmm. So Mary told fortunes she made love potions and she removed mm-hmm. evil wishes for the local servant girls and sometimes their employers. An evil wish witch. An evil wish witch. <laughs> yeah, all about those curses back then. So... In 1792, when she was 24, she had a brief courtship that lasted three weeks, and then she married a wheelwright named John Bateman. Wow. It's quick. Very quick. So he either didn't know that she was, like, a witch who would steal, (laughs) or he was, like, okay with it. I don't know. But they – I mean, I feel like in three weeks, how much can you know about one another, you know? Well, she stole his heart, that's for sure. Well, that's what some, that's what a lot of the articles <laughs> no, said that like did. she like put him under her spell and then like within 3 weeks they were married. I believe it. So, John Bateman was an honest man, but Mary wasn't. Mm-hmm. She just like kept stealing. So, after 2 months of marriage, Mary was caught stealing again, and in order to avoid being punished, she convinced her husband that they needed to move. So, they did this a lot. <laughs> She would, like, they'd go somewhere new, she'd get caught stealing, and then she'd be like, oh, we have to move, and then they'd move. Mm-hmm. None of that mattered to Mary, and even after she and John had children of their own, oh, they dang. eventually had four children that little, they would just pick up and move all the time. Little witchlets, I believe they're called. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> That's cute. I was looking for my little witchlet. He's on the back of the couch. Okay, so after a fire killed several workers at a large factory, Mary went door-to-door asking for donations to help the families who had suffered in the fire. Uh Uh-oh, I'm feeling it's not money for families (laughs) who suffered in a fire. (laughs) I'll never know Mary to be benevolent. Damn, you can't pull the wool over your eyes. (laughs) She promptly sold what she took in and kept the money for herself. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and then this one says that John Bateman was driven almost crazy by his wife's, like, stealing and just, like, antics that he entered the supplementary militia. I don't know what that is, but it just means that he had to leave. Like, forcefully making people take supplements? 
<laughs> it's like a it's like an MLM. Yeah, a very very forceful MLM. I think all of them are very very forceful. Well, these ones have got like real big muscly dudes that you know come in a pack to your house and they're they, like, like take jam the supplement. supplements down your throat. You need the supplement. You want to be like us, right? Take the supplement. Look how jacked we are. <laughs> Eat this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so he left. So now Mary was entirely on her own. With her children. Great. So because she was unable to follow any like real job because she obviously had a really bad reputation and she kept moving around. So she it's like hard, hard to find a job. Mm-hmm. In 1799, she moved to, it's called Marsh Lane. Well, that's a, an appropriate place for a witch to live. It says, it says it's near Timble Bridge in Cute. Leeds. So if you're in Leeds <laughs> and you know about Timble Bridge... Bridge Oh, I don't know so why it sounds sh- so cute. I because it's kind of like thimble. Yeah, I think. yeah. It's like tiny. And then you think about thimble. mice living in it with like. And you think of like Thimbleina, <laughs> where she like so tiny. Thumbelina. Oh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, maybe there's a Thimbleina too. Well, I think she was. Never. Mind. The size of a thumb. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I think yeah. she's the size of a thimble, but nope, nope. She's definitely named after. Being as small as a thumb. See, that's what I'm talking about. My mind, like, replacing words. Like, the other day, I was trying to say garage, and I said driveway instead, where it's, oh, like, my mind is just not. Driveway. Yeah, that's, it's just. That's a problem. I feel like I'm problem. having, like. Well, I'm hoping, yeah. hopefully, grad school will straighten you out. <laughs> hopefully, I can even function. I don't even, I don't even know. I'm, like, well, I mean, losing you, it. You had to, like, apply, so you got some kind of brain function. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could fake it for like short periods of time, but when I'm talking in person, I oh, that's true. I hope it's just like pandemic brain, and it's not like a more serious I, neurological issue. No, I think issue. it's something that everyone is dealing with because okay. we're so used to being social people. Yeah, we like need other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, da da Thimbalina, do do do. So she's fortune telling and selling charms. Because that's how she's going to support herself, which, cool. Uh-huh. Which, Mary cool, began... that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Very witch Mary cool. began claiming to be the agent for a, a Mrs. Moore. Mrs. Moore mm. was um, made up. And according to Mary, she, since she was the seventh child of a seventh child, Whoa. Mrs. Moore was capable of supernaturally binding those who would cause her clients harm. So she would like, because she was the seventh child of a seventh child, she had more powers, I guess. Right. So eventually Mary also began pretending to be the go-between for a woman named Miss Blythe. And Miss Blythe was uh, like not, you know, the seventh child of a seventh child. So her, her psychic abilities were just about reading the stars. So she was uh, an astrologer. Okay. Um, but Miss Blythe was also made up. So Mary has two imaginary friends <laughs> that she's Great. like the go-between for. One you want to put seven, like some separation. One is know. a seventh, seventh and does some binding and one looks at the stars. Got it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, they called it screwing down. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> which is supernaturally binding, which is also like not that clear. But I mean, I, I can see that. Like you're binding something. You're like, you're really screwing it down. <laughs> you know? Screwing down those people. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm, okay. Mm-hmm. It's witch talk. 
So before, I think that's just like old English talk. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so before long, Mary's business is booming. They're like, people are flocking to her home. They're like, you know, getting their Damn. futures told. And Mary would take their names and, of course, payment. Mm-hmm. And then she'd deliver the names and the money to Miss Blythe. And then Miss Blythe would tell her, like, the predictions. She'd, like, read the stars and give her the predictions. And then Mary would give the predictions to clients, along with any charms that Miss Blythe thought might help them. Wow, what a production. <laughs> I know. It's like, hang on, I have to go have a meeting. We'll be right back. I mean, it's kind of good, though, because then she's like, oh, I need some time, you know, to mail this mm-hmm. to Miss Blythe and get the response. So she's really, like, you know, spacing it out. I think that's just good business practice. <laughs> So she Mary has her like shop front basically uh between the imaginary astrologer and the clients right. and in her like little area she would sell potions and charms that could ward off evil or repel curses or even cure illness and she was also a part-time abortionist Well I mean <laughs> it kind of goes hand in hand Right. Which, I mean, I know back in the day, like, women, you know, you'd usually go to your local, like, witch or, mm-hmm. you know, some a woman who would know more about, like, you know. But a that just seems woman. sketchy. Well, you know, she's, like, making potions. Like, here's your love potion. And then they're like, your love potion worked a little bit too well. And they're like, oops, let me help get rid of that little side effect of the love potion. Side effects may include. <laughs> <laughs> you may have to make a return visit. <laughs> Altogether, though, it was a really good business. It sounds like it. But Mary felt like she wasn't making enough. So she really was mm. like part of an MLM. I think she just needed more. She needs to join her husband's supplement MLM. So soon she turned to Moida. Uh, that's a good business. Now, the first people that she killed, and I can only find um, information about these first two in, like, one article, like, no, everyone else just glossed over it. Like, it just, like, wasn't hmm. important, which I thought, like, whatever. Okay, so in 1803, there were three women from a family named Kitchen. <laughs> Maybe it was, like, three women. Never mind. Okay, so there were two Quaker sisters and their mother. So it was the first three that she killed. The Kitchen women. Mary started by befriending them, Mm -hmm. and then she'd, like, sometimes help out. They owned a drapery shop in Leeds, so she'd sometimes, like, help out in their shop. Cute. Kitchen's draperies. And then they also would seek out their fortunes from Miss Blythe, so Mary was their go-between, giving on, you know, giving their messages back and forth. And then at some point, one of the women fell ill to an unknown cause, and Mary Ooh. nursed her with special powders that she had prepared. Oh, no. Soon, all three women were dead. Oh, well, that was quick. Mary blamed the deaths on the plague. Yeah, that's convenient. And, <laughs> and locals didn't say anything because, you know, either it was the plague or they were, like, a little bit afraid of her, maybe. Well, yeah, it was either the plague or a witch cursed them. And we don't want to be cursed by a witch by blaming her for cursing them, so... Yeah, so we're going to stay out of the business. Yep. But that, I mean, I think maybe that's why their story wasn't really told so often because their bodies weren't, like, examined or anything because the plague was going around. They probably were just like, oh, yeah, they died of the plague. Right. But when creditors looked into the kitchen estate, they discovered that the drapery shop house and the house had been stripped bare and that the account books were missing. Ooh. 
But no one thought to blame Mary, I guess. Well, uh, yeah, once again, you don't want to get a witch curse. So, so as soon as Mary kind of sensed that her, that people weren't like, you know, as she, taken with her. She out, outstayed her welcome. Yeah, she moved on. Uh-huh. She charmed a new batch of clients who didn't know about Mary Bateman. Well, yeah. She sought out this woman. Oh, I guess she sought out, like, ill people and anxious people and promised to offer them magical answers to their problems. Right. And she seemed kind and well-connected. So she was, like, she always had people coming to her. She Mm -hmm. was, like, you know, a well-known witch around town. Around 1806, Mary also turned her hand to apocalyptic prophecy, which is always like a, uh-oh. This is how I found the story because of this next part. I was like, what the fuck? So she began spreading the story of the prophet hen of Leeds. That's right, hen, Hen? a chicken. She claimed that a chicken that she owned was laying eggs inscribed with the words, Christ is coming. The eggs had words. Yes, and, like, people saw the eggs with the etchings of, like, Christ is coming or whatever. Hmm. So people would come to Mary for magical protection and for the price of a penny, she promised that they'd be spared from the forthcoming end of times. The truth was (laughs) Mary had inscribed words Uh on the eggs using vinegar. Mm Mm-hmm. And then would shove them back into no, the hen's no, oviduct. No, people would watch them lay eggs. Where they would be freshly laid. Oh, these poor, this poor hen yes. was double laying all her eggs. Yep. Just so that people could see them be laid. And they're like, oh, obviously she didn't do it because, you know, we just I mean, saw this out of the pre- chicken. It's animal abuse, but that's pretty clever. <laughs> Nobody do that, please. <laughs> But the the reason why they finally found out what was happening is because a local doctor spied on her and saw Mary put shoving eggs an back egg. In. <laughs> oh my god! I can't even imagine how you would hold a chicken still enough to shove an egg back up its cloa cloaca 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 that hole that everything comes out of chicken hole. Yeah. <laughs> Poor chickens. Poor chickens. Okay. But Mary wasn't punished for this. So moving on. She was just a sick witch. In the spring of 1806, news of Mary being like so kind and talented and so like psychic and whatnot reached a couple in Bramley named William and Rebecca Harago. Rebecca service serviced suffered from oh, a nervous no. disorder <laughs> like I am right now. Yeah. And complained of a fluttering in her side when she laid down. She was like, you know what would cure this is some eggs no. that said Jesus Wait. loves you on it. Guess what a doctor told her? What? A doctor. A doctor said that the fluttering was beyond his cure because a neighbor had cast a spell on her uh, well, or an evil wish. Well, so well, he's like, well, yeah, I can't once, help you. Yeah, once you have the a witch cast flutter by on your stomach, you're fucked. Well, he also told her that she should uh, go for the arts of sorcery because that was the only way to restore order. Well, and help basically, her. she needs an exorcism. Well, she just needs a witch. 
Well, yeah, I mean, and what's a witch but uh, not... <laughs> what's what's a Catholic priest but a witch? First of all, I take offense to that. You know, he's just going to come with some holy water and sprinkle it on you and burn some incense. I think and... witches are way more effective than priests, and I also have never heard of a witch... I mean, they're molesting cooler. children, but well, I don't know. They do. I mean, how about that Hansel and Gretel, huh? That was pretty weird. She just wanted to eat them. She didn't like molest them. <laughs> it's just a taste. I don't think that that's that weird. <laughs> Stop trying to give witches a bad name. No, I think that I'm, I'm witches not. are like. I'm just saying, I would trust a witch more than I would trust a priest, and so I'm. Well, yeah, for sure, but I'm just saying that, like, Wicca. I'm just comparing, like, Wicca, Wiccan and Catholicism being, like, you know, there's the, the cursed people, quote-unquote, whatever, that, like, maybe has a demon in the Catholic Church, or maybe if it's, like, a witch, it's, like, a curse, but it's, like, mm-hmm. you. the only way that you can get it done is by getting, like, a if you're a witch, like, a spell reversal thing, or if you're a priest, you gotta... That's, okay, look, though, a spell reversal is probably less traumatic than an exorcism. That shit looks intense as fuck. Well, you know, it just depends on what kind of demon you got in you. I guess so. <laughs> or what kind of bad wish you have put upon you. Yeah, I'm sure there are witch ones where it's like, you got to like go kill a goat and like put it in the yard on a full moon and slather yourself in blood and uh, I don't... hop backwards three times and say, oogie boogie. In real life, I don't know of any witches who would harm animals, but... <laughs> In your Hansel and Gretel variety, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Although she's just trying to eat children. She wasn't, like, killing any animals. That's true. She wasn't harming animals. Just those annoying brats that were eating her house. She was probably, like, a vegan who was just a cannibal vegan. Well, I mean, yeah. And to be fair, they were destroying her house, so she... Well, I guess it wouldn't be a cannibal because she was, like, a magical witch, which maybe isn't a human. I don't know where the line is. I mean, I think... Also, those kids were, like, eating... Yeah, they're eating her house, like, destroying her property. I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) Around this time, Rebecca's niece named Steed... Steed, as in, like, a horse? Like a horse, yeah. See, okay, back back in the day, like, people had cool names, and now everyone's, like, thinks you're weird if you're named something. They're like, oh, it's a hippie name, when really it's just, like, an old-ass English name. Do you think Steed is a cool name? No, I don't think okay. Steve's cool. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> so Steve visited, and she was like, oh, I'm so bummed that you're, like, not feeling good, Rebecca. You're just, like, ailing and so stressed about all this. But I know who to ask for help. Mm. She then went to Mary's house and told her about her aunt's condition. She's like, my aunt has got this flutter thing happening. The doctor said it's, like... Someone put a curse on her. You need to help her out. And Mary was like, oh, well, I know this woman in Scarborough. And if I just send her an article of your aunt's clothing, then she can figure out how to help her. (laughs) Okay. So the husband, William, went to Mary's and gave her Rebecca's flannel petticoat. And Mary was like, okay. Not sexual. Sexual. A warm. Warm. Very, very warm. Yeah, well, England's, like, cold as fuck. It's, like, that wet cold that's, that's just, like... Yeah, you probably need a wool petticoat. Gets down to your bones. Mm. It's 
Spotify. This one's gonna be fun for you. I'm like, yeah, geez, and you're like adjusting all over like that crazy. Mic. That's why I need I need like a table situation. I told you I need the TV tray. Well, make sure that like when you move, you like get a table. <laughs> okay. Well, next year when we're doing this podcast for two years, then we can work on getting a table. Tables. <laughs> okay. We'll start up Goals. a table fund. Good. Big dreams. Okay. So when he returned, oh, sorry. So he gave, he gives her the petticoat and then Mary's like, all right, to Miss Blythe tonight. And also, then. Also, like, you'd think like, hey, give me an article of clothing. Like, here's a hair tie, not a huge petticoat <laughs> that like takes an well, extra wagon know. to drag it downtown. I think she may have been like, give me like an article of clothing That's or like a pe- like a petticoat or something. You know, mm. I mean, she needs like enough fabric mm. right. to really feel out. Really oh, because she said it, it needs to be something that like that Rebecca wears close to her skin. Oh, great! How about some underwear? I think that is underwear. Oh right, they had big underwear. I think petticoats were Oof. like. That's a lot of underwear. That's like the underwear. <laughs> I just, like, during this time, people were just so, like, gross and dirty all the time and probably covered in all kinds of gross stuff. I just, uh, well, yeah, and you have yeah. One, one outfit. Yeah, maybe two if you're rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. She's like, I'm going to write to Miss Blythe tonight mm-hmm. and then come back next week on this day to hear her response. Okay. When he returned the next week... Surprise! Miss Blythe had sent the letter. Oh, good. She's and very it had arrived in time. Mm-hmm. She's very prompt. The letter told Mary to sew silk bags containing four guinea notes, which I think are gold coins, mm-hmm. some kind of coin, which were enclosed, which were to be enclosed in the corners of Rebecca's bed. There, they were supposed to stay undisturbed for eighteen months. <laughs> so William was supposed to give Mary four notes of similar value to return to Scarborough. So Miss Blythe sent him four guinea notes mm-hmm. in the in the letter and was like, we need four more notes to repay her, basically. Mm. On August 4th, Mary went over to William's house and having shown the four notes, proceeded to sew them up in the silken bags and then she put them to in Rebecca's room to be placed in the bed, mm-hmm. to be like sewn in the corners of the bed. There was nothing and then, in those little pockets. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the four notes to be returned were then handed to her by William and she left. It's mm-hmm. a good exchanged, way to double your profits. They just exchanged, you know, the equal amount of notes. Mm-hmm. In about two weeks, late, in about two weeks, another letter came. And it contained directions that two pieces of iron in the form of horseshoes should be nailed up by Mary at the Perigo's door, but that the nails should not be driven in with a hammer, but by the back of a pair of, of pinchers, and that the pinchers were to be sent to Scarborough to remain in the custody of Miss Blythe for 18 months. The hell are pinchers? I'm thinking like maybe like like a plot like a plier situation or something. Pinchers. Pin. It's pincers. 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 Well, okay, gotta. That's. She so she. Which needs... I'm guessing that Mary was doing some home improvement. Yeah, she's projects. like, mm, damn. If only I had <laughs> some. Like pincers. I already have the hammer. I need some pincers. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. 
Okay, and uh, old-timey letter disclaimer. I'm going to read some letters from, like, old-timey, so buckle up. (laughs) In October, the following letter was received by William. It said, My dear friend, you must go down to Mary Bateman's at Leeds on Tuesday next and carry two guinea notes with you and give her them, and she will give you other two that I have sent to her from Scarborough, and you must buy me a small cheese... (laughs) About six or eight pound weight. One And it must be of your buying. For it is a particular use and it is to be carried down to Miss Bateman's and she will send it to me by coach. This letter is to be burned when you have been when you have done reading it. Uh Oh, someone didn't burn it. Also, I like that. (laughs) I'll take two coins and a side of cheese, please. (laughs) A small cheese, by about coach? eight like, pounds. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, until March 1807, Miss Blythe demanded money for magical supplies. She was given almost 70 pounds by William. God. And each time he got a silk bag supposedly containing the same amount of money back, which was to be sewn into the bed. Uh-huh. The bed is like all coins now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how comfortable this is. Miss Blythe always instructed them to burn the letters so evil spirits couldn't read their contents. Right, right. Those evil spirits, nosy little fuckers. <laughs> In March 1807, the following letter arrived. My dear friends, I will be obliged to you if you will let me have half a dozen of your china, Ooh. three silver spoons, half a pound of tea, two pounds of loaf sugar, and a tea canister to put the tea in, or else it will not do. Okay, so now she's, like, placing a grocery list order? I durst not drink out of my own china. You must burn this with a candle. Well, I got it. you know, I really got to hand it to Mary. She was going into people's houses, pocketing things, and now she's getting people to They're coach, bringing it to sending her. Sending them by coach to her. They're paying her yeah. to take their stuff. Okay, you know what? I'm all for it. Except for the murder part. But, like, you know what? People are going to fall for it. (laughs) No. (laughs) When the china and silver, etc. didn't arrive by April, Miss Blythe wrote, My dear friends, I will be obliged to you if you will buy me a camp bedstead, bed and bedding, a blanket, a pair of sheets, and a long bolster must come from your house. You need not buy the best feathers. Common ones will do. Okay. I good. have laid on the floor for three nights, and I cannot lay on my own bed, owing to the planets being so bad concerning your wife. Wow. And I must have one of your buying, or it will not do. Well, you yeah. must bring down the china, the sugar, the caddy, the three silver spoons, and the tea at the same time with you when you buy the bed and pack them up together. Mm-hmm. My brother's boat will be up in a day or two, and I will order my brother's boatman to call for them all at Mary Bateman's, and you must give Mary Bateman one shilling for the boatman, and <gasps> I will place it in your account. Your wife must burn this as soon as you read it, or it will not do. Oh, my God. What a pushy little bitch. 
She's like, you didn't bring me the china. Now you got to buy like, me a shit. whole bed set. I actually, well, I'm glad that you didn't bring it last week because actually I really could use a new bed and not just a bed, but new sheets, new pillows, a new uh, whatever. Well, the it fuck. doesn't need to be the best feather bed. Just, it could be like a common one. Yeah, That's common, fine. Common feathers are I'm fine. I'm not greedy. I've just been sleeping on the floor because the planets are bad. And honestly, if you had sent your china last week, the planets might not have been so bad because yeah, your wife is not. like really screwing things up for everyone and I am uh-huh. eating off paper plates. So send the good china and the bed. <laughs> and also a kitchen table. Um, I'll take a little china. <laughs> if you have a china hutch, because I'm going to need somewhere to store my china You know what? We as might well. as well just trade house. I mean, trade houses with Mary Bateman because. Uh, yeah, yeah. She'll give you a shilling <laughs> that you can, <laughs> you can pay her back with a non-cursed shilling. <laughs> Well, that's kind of like what it is, right? Like after this, when people were like, oh, give me your money and mm-hmm. I'll like, unc- I'll like clear it so it's yeah. not like cursed and then I'll like give it uh, back yeah. or whatever. Like, I'll but... give you one with like a spell cast on it. Yeah, but they like never gave the money back. Uh-huh. It's kind of like the same. They've been doing the same thing for centuries. <laughs> yep. The Paragos followed through and spent 16 pounds oh to get Miss Blythe what she wanted. <gasps> but even though they were doing everything they could... They received this note. Oh, God. My dear friends. Oh, no. What now? I'm sorry to tell you, you will take an illness in the month of May next. One or both of you, but I think both, but the works of God must have its course. You will escape the chambers of the grave, though you... Oh, sorry. One or both of you... Oh, that's right. Sorry. You will escape the chambers of the grave. Though you seem to be dead, you will live. Your wife must take half a pound of honey down from Bramley to Mary Bateman's at Leeds, and it must remain there till you go down yourself, and she will put in it such like stuff that I have sent from Scarborough to her, and she will put it in when you come down. So she's going to send some stuff to Mary. Mary's going to put it in the honey. I'm guessing, like, this was all written out on an egg, these instructions. <laughs> Multiple eggs. Oh, God. Lots of eggs that day. They, like, deliver these chickens. Like, wait for them to hatch. I mean, wait for them to, like, lay their eggs and then put them in order and read yeah, the letter. Yeah, Okay. So they said, and see her yourself or it will not do. You must eat pudding for six days and you must put in such like stuff as I have sent to Mary Bateman from Scarborough and she will give your wife, give your wife it. But you must not begin to eat of this pudding while I let you know. If ever you find yourself sickly at any time, you must take each of you a teaspoonful of this honey. I will remit 20 pounds to you on the 20th day of May, and it will pay a little of what you owe me. So she's she's like keeping tabs of what they owe her and first on top of, all, of like all this other like, stuff. And then she's like, oh, I'll put $20 on your account or 20 And she's pounds. setting it up so that when she does poison them, she's like, oh, well, I told you you would get sick, so you just have to follow through. Mm-hmm. Also, let me just... Put this out there again. Mm-hmm. Pudding. What is with pudding? Nobody should be eating anyone's pudding or anyone. If anyone is recommending you eat pudding, do not. <laughs> pudding should be a choice that you make yourself. <laughs> it should never be put upon you by anyone else because it seems like every time death follows. Pudding is a personal decision. It is. A pudding is a personal decision. I'm going to make that into a shirt. It's a thing. Pudding is a choice. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if you're making the right choice, you're choosing tapioca. So just putting that out there, too. Or ri- I like rice pudding, too. Yeah. A rice or a tapioca. A rice or a tapioca. <laughs> but but 
You choose it yourself. You make it yourself. And nobody's tampering with your pudding. But in this one, she got even more clever because she said, you must bring this down, this letter, to Mary Bateman's and burn it at her house yeah. when you come down next time. Yeah, and also I'm going to poison the honey, which you're going to be taking as a remedy. So uh, okay, make sure you eat lots of that. <laughs> Do not eat other No, a teaspoon. <laughs> a teaspoon of the honey. Uh-huh. The instructions contained <laughs> were complied with and – okay, so – William brought down some honey of their own mm-hmm. to Miss Bateman, and then Miss Bateman mixed a white powder into the honey, Mm-mm. and then handed <laughs> over six other white powders, <sighs> and told told them, you know, this is what you mix in your pudding or whatever. And then he was like, and then she was like, you have to do it in the pre- the precise way that the letter told you how to do it, you know, or mm-hmm. you will, or we would, we're all gonna die. Like, not just you, but, like, all of us. The world is depending on your pudding powers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So on the 5th of May, another letter arrived. My dear friends, you must begin to eat pudding on the 11th of May. (laughs) No, if anyone ever says you must begin to eat pudding, end it there. And you must put one of the powders in every day as they are marked for six days. And you must see it put in yourself every day or else it will not do. If you find yourself sickly at any time, you must not have no doctor mm-hmm. or if will not do. Mm-hmm. It will not do. Don't you dare call a doctor. Don't. And you must not let the boy that used to eat with you eat of that pudding for six days. So she's looking out for the little worker boy. Well, that's and, nice, I guess. <laughs> Jeez. And you must make only just as much as you can eat yourselves. If there's any left, it will not do. You must keep the door fast as much as possible or you will be overcome by some enemy. She's like, lock those doors while you're eating this pudding in secret. <laughs> secret pudding. And pudding and should never be a secret. <laughs> you should always you share should pudding. Eat your No, never share pudding because no one oh. should be eating your pudding. Everyone make their own pudding. Eat your pudding proudly. No secret pudding. But don't eat other people's puddings. I just think it's rude not to share. Well, not when it's pudding. <laughs> Then she continues to say, now think on and take my directions or else it will kill us all. Oh, God. (laughs) About the 25th of May, I will come to Leeds and send for your wife to Mary Bateman's. Your wife will take me by the hand and say, God bless you that I ever found you. Uh, Well, okay. It has pleased God to send me into the world that I might destroy the works of (gasps) darkness. I call them the works of darkness because they are dark to you. Now mind what I say, whatever you do. This Mm -hmm. letter must be burned in straw on the hearth by your wife. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Okay. She's like, yeah, on the 25th of May, we'll finally meet. Like, we'll okay. meet. I'm going to be bringing some um, coffins with me, but don't mind them. They're, they're <laughs> fine, but uh, eat your pudding. It's just part of the ceremony. Mm. You have to buy some coffins. Pudding. Send them to Mary. Yeah, she'll give you the not cursed coffins. you got to plant them in your yard for 13 days, and when you eat your pudding, you have to stand inside them. <laughs> so as you may have guessed, the stuff, the white powder <laughs> that they're adding to their pudding uh-huh. was mercurial. Mercuric at chloride. Oh. Oh. On Uh-oh. May 11th, <laughs> the Paragos started eating the pudding, uh-huh. and for five days they seemed to be able to eat it. 
But on the sixth day, William could only eat a couple of bites while Rebecca was able to eat all of her pudding. Then they both started violently vomiting. William later recalled that, quote, a violent heat came out of my mouth, which was very sore, (sighs) that my lips were black, and that I had the most violent pain in, in my head, 20 times worse than a common headache. Oh and that everything God. appeared green. Oh, oh, that's a weird side effect. Didn't expect that. He also suffered from a violent complaint in his bowels. Oh, no, the violent complaint in your bowels. <laughs> Very but loud remember, shouting. Mary gave them the antidote. Right, the poisoned antidote. If you ever feel sick, <laughs> take Eat a teaspoon. More. A teaspoonful of the honey. Uh, unfortunately for the couple, the mm-hmm. honey was laced with arsenic. Oh, good. Good, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> so when Rebecca started getting sick and she went immediately to the honey, she refused to call the doctor because the letter right. said that the said, charm would be broken. don't call no doctor, even so though she that ate, means like, call a, a doctor. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so she ate a bunch of the honey. William oh, slowly a bunch? got better. She was just supposed to have a tablespoon. A teaspoon. A teaspoon. Oh, yeah. well, she didn't mm-hmm. follow the instructions. Well, that's right. So William slowly <laughs> got better and Rebecca got weaker and weaker. On May 24th, 1807, the day before she was supposed to meet Miss Blythe and thank her, Uh Rebecca died. Oh, no. Her last request was that her husband not be rash with Mary Bateman. Mm. I mean, she just sounds like a little sweetheart who had, like, some kind of nervous problem. Yeah, she probably literally just had... Bad anxiety. Yeah. Then she ate poison pudding, and then she ate poison honey, and now she's dead. Yeah. Poor lady. So William was obviously just devastated. Yeah. A surgeon was called to see Rebecca's body, uh, even though... So the surgeon was Mr. Chorley, and he believed that Rebecca died from poison... Oh, I thought you and were going to say a curse. No, from po- no, he was a real this doctor. Was a real, okay. <laughs> and he was like, "This bitch has been poisoned." Mm. Not only did he think he was like this, she's been poisoned for sure. Like this woman's been poisoned. Not only that, but a cat mm? ate some of the pudding. Oh no, they weren't supposed died. to share their pudding with anyone. Right, and it died immediately afterwards. But despite this, no further steps were taken to find the real cause of death. I don't know why. It's just, like, ridiculous. So for two years, William continued to rely on the potions provided by Miss Blythe. What? Well, he got better. And this is why. Okay, He was never sick. When he told her of the death of his wife, she at once declared that it was because... Because she had eaten all the honey at once. Yeah. You know, right? mm-hmm. She didn't follow the rules. So she was like, okay, well, I just need more more money and more of your wife's clothes. <laughs> She's dead. She's dead. Actually, just bring them all. What size yeah, is she uh, again? Whatever. I'm a seamstress. <laughs> I can let them out or let them in, take them in, whatever. That's right. She's a seamstress. <laughs> As the years went by, William's faith began to waver. He wondered why his constant payments and gifts to Miss Blythe didn't seem to have done, like, anything for him. 
Um, like Finally, I said, he was never sick until he ate the pudding and became violently ill. Then, mm-hmm. like the then he was like fine. So then he's like, oh, I guess it does work. Even though, um, you were fine until you ate well, that pudding. Still, yeah, and he still had like you know issues. Uh huh. You, you ate don't like a fully bunch recover of, from yeah, poison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So he's kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I should trust. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I should trust her. Don't. So he was like, you know what? There are all those ba- silk bags sewn into the bed. I'm going to go see what's in hmm. there. So when he opened it up, he found some say uh, cabbage leaves. <laughs> some say waste paper, metal, and small change. Uh, but definitely not the amount of money that he was given uh-huh. in this play. So William's like, fuck. Uh. He confronted Mary about what he had discovered, and she was like, oh, you just opened the bags too soon. Like, they're in their process. They were processing to turn it. They're processing. I I always throw toilet paper in the garbage, and then if you wait, like, a year, they'll turn into coins. Well, no, you see, she put the coins in initially, and the coins turn into garbage, and then, you know, they're going to turn back into coins. They didn't wait long enough. They're, like, working their way through, like, their curse or whatever. They're probably, like, taking in, like, all of Rebecca's issues. stuff, turning themselves into And so they were, like, turning into garbage, and then they were, like, going to re-coin later. Re-coin. Okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how that works. Mm -hmm. But William was like, I don't think so. So he's like, I'm going to come back tomorrow morning. And we'll settle this, basically. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay, well, when you come back, I'll give you that bottle of medicine that will cure you from the effects of the pudding that you're still feeling. Because I'm continuing <laughs> to give you medicine, obviously. And he and was like, yeah, I'll for sure. take a side of cheese when you're on your way I'll to get the medicine. I'll take that small six-pound cheese, please. <laughs> <laughs> but William was, you know, smart. So when he returned the next day, he brought Constable Driftfield who hid nearby. He was in like, a bush. I'm going to like, I'm gonna like <laughs> stand behind this like pole and like peek out. <laughs> so when he came by, Mary tried to turn the tables and claim that William was the poisoner. Oh, she yeah. was like, that bottle that you gave me yesterday night like almost poisoned me and my husband. Oh, her husband was like living back with her at oh, this point. Oh, very surprised. She was like, she was like, oh, I don't know when he moved in. It wasn't clear mm. when he moved back in, but she's like, it almost killed me and my husband who was who's ill in bed right now because of it. Mm. And then William was like, uh, no, that's bullshit. So the constable pops out and he's like, I've, I'm witness to it all. I know that you're like lying or whatever. So he arrests her and the bottle they were talking about, the bottle that he, that Mary was going to give to him that she claimed he gave to her was Uh in her pocket at the time. Whoops. So they take it out and they send it to the lab or whatever. And it gets tested and it's found to contain oatmeal, Rum and arsenic. Oh, I was going to say, sounds like a yummy cookie recipe, but... Mm, <laughs> I mean, oatmeal arsenic. and rum was probably like, you know, top-notch medicine yeah, back in the day. right. <laughs> but also arsenic. Uh, a little bit of arsenic. Well, whatever, you know. <laughs> then a search of Mary's house uncovered items that Miss Blythe had demanded of Uh-oh. William and Rebecca. <gasps> and this time, Mary couldn't get herself out of it. It was all pretty obvious what had happened. The whole packet newspaper wrote in 1808, after Mary had been arrested, that the scam against these people was almost without precedent for gross villainy on the part of the deceiver and blind credulity on the part of the deceived. 
I mean, she's just upping her theft game. I know, and everything was, like, kind of, they were, like, kind of blaming. They are like, kind of victim-blaming. They are like, oh, well, you guys just, like, believed her. So, like, that's kind of on you. But it's just, like, she took advantage of people who were ailing. Yeah, I know. I know I said good job, Mary. I'm sorry, but, like. Yeah, take that back. (laughs) It's just, like, ah. Uh, Just yeah. because people are trusting and can be scammed doesn't mean they should be. No, I don't think they should be scammed. I just think, you know, I don't, yeah. If there was a, a better way that people weren't dying and she wasn't scamming people, I'm just proud of her for finding, you know, what she's good at and then making it better at being Here's worse. Here's but... First of all, she was good at being a seamstress and she was making good money yeah, at that. that's true. She was also good at being, like, you know, your basic witch. She was making potions. She was selling charms. She was doing well. And she just got greedy. So she stopped at, like, doing the charm thing and, like, the potion thing. Yeah. She uh, stumbled, you know. Damn. She shouldn't have, well, she shouldn't have done a lot of things. But I think, you know, her pretending to be, like, three people, that's stretching it a little (laughs) bit. I mean... Ugh, all I can think of right now is Ace Ventura. Finkel is Einhorn, and Einhorn is Finkel. <laughs> this whole time. Bateman is Blythe, and Blythe is Bateman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When Mary, There's more. When Mary's trial for the murder of Rebecca Perigo opened on March 17th, 1809 at York Castle. Cool. She, her defense was to deny, to deny everything. Mm-hmm. In a written statement, she claimed, it is utterly false that I ever did send for any potions by any person, and she claimed that it was all Miss Blythe's doing and not hers. Well, yeah, I mean, Miss Blythe did write those letters. The whole packet reported that Mary looked very plausible, not like someone hiding poison in her potions. She's like a legit witch. (laughs) She was said to have seemed sedate and respectable, despite having a tongue in her head that would wheedle the devil. Wow, what a description. I know. (laughs) Dozens of witnesses testified to Mary's criminal activities, including fraud, extortion, and abortion. Well, yeah. Which that shouldn't be a crime, but if she's not doing it like with training, that's terrifying. And soon it became apparent that the scope of her crimes was far broader than initially suspected. For many, the unexpected deaths of the kitchens Mm -hmm. six years earlier took on a more sinister cast. So before Mm -hmm. they weren't, you know, but now they're kind of like, oh. Something else became clear, too, that there was no Miss Blythe or any Mrs. Moore. And in fact... They did handwriting analysis, and Mary's handwriting matched that of Miss Blythe perfectly. You know, I'm going to go ahead and victim blame. They were supposed to burn those letters that is on them. (laughs) I know. I'm going to say that's why the wife died. They didn't follow the instructions. I'm surprised they didn't burn them. Although, good thing they didn't. I mean, good thing they didn't, yeah. But, I mean, I don't know. They're not really following instructions. And Mary didn't attempt to explain the fact that she had the same handwriting as Miss Blythe. Well, they went to the same elementary school. They learned together. (laughs) (laughs) Then an elementary school. Yeah, I don't think anyone was going to elementary school in these days. Which elementary school? (laughs) Not even. A doctor who analyzed the remains of 
the honey found that it had the mercurial chloride or whatever I said it was earlier. <laughs> then the jury returned the verdict very quickly of guilty. And then the judge was like, there's no doubt at all that you're guilty. <laughs> so you're guilty. The proof and is in the pudding. The pudding. <gasps> <gasps> I would say that's from this case, but there's oh. so many cases like this, right? Because you were talking about there. pudding yeah. and it's proof always is always in the pudding. In the pudding. That's why I only wow. eat your fucking own pudding. Yeah, don't do it in the pudding. <laughs> so the judge said, "For crimes like yours in this world, the greatest of mercy are closed. Sorry, the gates of mercy okay. are closed. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and they show sentence to death. Okay, yeah, good which show. Back then, good show. You get murdered." Then the arraignment clerk asked, Mary Bateman, what have you to say? Why immediate execution should not be awarded against you? And Mary tearfully declared (laughs) she was pregnant. (gasps) So Uh... on hearing that, like all the women in the gallery tried to leave the courtroom immediately because I guess back in the day, they would like the judge would assign women in the courtroom to do an examination. What? What do you? He would what? like make. Yeah. How? He would like make a jury because because women know pregnancy and women. What even are you examining? I don't know. So all the women were like, "Fuck! I don't want to be put on this jury," oh. which makes me think like <sighs> everyone's always like, "Damn! I got jury duty. We gotta like get out of here." Yeah, you don't so, want to get jury duty and pregnancy check duty. Yeah, so all the women are trying to leave, and the judge is like, lock the doors. We're, like, picking these women. So then so then they pick a jury of matrons who would examine Mary and ascertain whether or not she was pregnant. Uh, I just, and like, what the hell are you checking? Because the law of the day stated that if the claimant be four and a half months advanced, how would you even know how many? She shall not be executed until after giving birth. Well, that's kind, but like, (laughs) are they just like shoving a hand up there and like feeling around, like I don't know, counting fingers and toes? What is happening? If if Mary could become an abortionist, somehow women are being. No, somehow women are being trained on, like, what to look for or how to... I mean, it's like, you know if you don't I mean, have the though? pregnant belly, what do you... How do you... Well, I feel like after four and a half months, you should be able to, like, maybe feel a heartbeat or something. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't I feel know. like people usually start to get a little bigger around four and a half months. Some people don't show at all. I know, that's true. And with all the drapery, all the drapes that they're wearing, I mean, how could you even tell with petticoats? Well, that's why they take her in the back room to examine her, uh and only women are allowed in there. Women who have been pregnant before know what to look for. Yep, everyone, they know what to... uh, uh, I don't know. uh, (laughs) I don't know. So, she's like, she's like, no, no, I'm innocent. Like, no, I'm pregnant. Whatever, whatever. So, the 12 married women took Mary into another room and the women like did their exam or whatever and then they were like nope she's not pregnant oh. so then she was sent back to prison damn <laughs> while in prison she was like I'm innocent I'm innocent like I didn't do this and then she also kept up her business by making magical charms for her fellow inmates cute so that's nice <laughs> On the day before her execution, she wrote a letter to her husband in which she enclosed her wedding ring and a request that it might be given to her daughter. 
She admitted that she had been guilty of many frauds, but still denied that she had any intention of murdering uh, Rebecca or William. On March 20th, 1809, Mary went before the hangman, William Mutton Curry. Mutton. That's right, Mutton Curry. Mm, that's a weird, a weird entree. <laughs> she was 40 years old. As she went to the gallows, thousands of people turned out to watch the last moments of the Yorkshire witch. Mm. She would so... Her on her final breath, she denied the murder charges against her, and then some said that she died with a lie on her lips. But others believed that she was she was innocent, and they thought that she was going to be saved last minute by some kind of miracle, mm. like her employing her supernatural powers to vanish into thin air when the noose tightened. Well, where's the Jesus chicken to come save her? But when the news tightened, she died. (laughs) Mary's body was brought to Leeds Infirmary, where 2,500 residents paid three pence each in admission charges to view the corpse on its return to the town. Did they descend in their pence and then get blessed pence back that they were going to be sewn into silk pouches? I don't think you get blessed pence for trying to see a corpse. (laughs) I think that's just so morbid. Okay, so while they're waiting, so she's like being killed farther away and then this whole crowd is waiting by the infirmary and there are like jugglers and like people <laughs> like s- saying ballads and like wow. there's like food and drinks you know like people are bringing pies to sell and beer so these people are like partying <laughs> outside the infirmary to wait to pay nice. to see this body so after midnight the hearse finally arrives and then people start lining up they've been partying all day they're like ready <laughs> So they go past to see, you know, the witch, mm-hmm. and then sh- then the body is taken for dissection. Oh. Thousands of people attended her dissection, and afterwards, as was customary, uh-huh. following the dissection of her corpse, her body was skinned, <gasps> and after being scraped and tanned, oh. it was sold in small pieces as souvenirs. Witch leather? Her skin. Her skin was even used to bind several books. Whoa. At least one of which was allegedly owned by the future George IV. Whoa, I wonder if those are still around. Probably, but now in storage at Leeds University is her skeleton. It was on display for over two centuries. First at the Leeds Medical School and then later at Thackeray Medical museum. So you can see what witch bones look like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that's the story of the Yorkshire witch. Whoa. Whoa. Customary to sell I know. skin bits. Now I'm thinking about like a little, little witch skin purse, maybe like some little cute little shoes to go with it. It's kind of like Hocus Pocus where they have that like <laughs> yeah. skin book. It's yeah. just like that. That's like real. Book, yes. Skin books. Skin, skin, just like little pieces of it. Skin. Little skin keychains. Yeah, I was thinking keychains. Little bookmark. Cute. Well, I mean, how many? You know, there's only a. Who's buying skin bits? There's People only so a finite morbid. amount of of trinkets you can make from one witch oh skin, God. right? I mean. One witch skin. Yeah, no. <laughs> one witch skin. So like that's. 
Rare, very rare. I wonder how much a witch skin book goes for these days. I don't even, I don't even know. (laughs) Probably a lot, I would assume. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. The tossed salad, a scrambled egg. The tossed salad. The tossed salad. And the scrambled egg. A scrambled egg. So a tossed salad is someone who clearly knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway. Right, so the tossed salad has more components. The person is able to compartmentalize. And a scrambled egg is someone who can't tell right from wrong and they're just completely scrambled. Just one component, one track mind. They're all kinds of mixed up. There's no focus, they're disorganized. Uh, wow. Um, I yeah. think that Mary is a toss salad. She was very- I think she's a toss salad. Very organized. She knew what she was doing, and you know what? She gave it her best. I think she gave it a good go, and she messed up with the pudding. I think that whoever bought those uh, witch skin books are scrambled as fuck, because that is gross. I don't know. There's collectors for everything. You mean to tell me that if you came, if a witch skin book came into your possession, you wouldn't be like, this is kind of cool? No. <laughs> no. Like. No. It's old witch skin. It's human skin. Yeah, but... Bound books. Mm-mm. Well, Mm-mm. what's the literature Mm-mm. in between the skin pieces? I'm just, like, going to vomit thinking about it. It's so gross. Well, I mean, so it's the same as leather. Yeah, well, basically, yeah. Yeah. But just of the human leather variety. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we see things differently. It's yeah, fine. I think we do. <laughs> it's not like I'm collecting which skin pieces, but I mean, it's not you know, leather bound books. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You never mm. know until you see a nipple on it or something. Like, uh oh, that doesn't look right. <laughs> well, yeah, that was a good story. Thanks. I liked that. I liked it a lot. Cool. Well, I'm going to tell you. Well, let's s- take a break for a word from our sponsors. I'm going to tell you. Let's take a break from a word <laughs> to hear a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Look, we all need self-care now more than ever, especially after that story. Don't let your skin be all leathery. Take yeah. care of it now while you still can. <laughs> Check out HumbleBeHerbal.com. If you expect your skin to become a witch skin book, take care of your supple skin so that we can have nice books. So it can live on forever (laughs) in someone's library. (laughs) Anyway, their products are all natural, just like skin. (laughs) And uh, they're just really amazing. They'll treat your skin well. And I gotta stop saying the word skin. Yep. Humblebee Herbal is eco-friendly and uses only recyclable packaging. Or reusable, even. Those little tins, you can, like, use them to store precious things. Like precious little seeds. skin like, bits. Like, you collect, you know. You collect your witch skin bits and go into <laughs> all your witch, seeing all the, the corpses and collecting skin bits. And um, all their containers that are, like, glass. Everyone loves a glass jar. And they're all, like, either blue or brown glass, which can be reused, like, yeah. a million different ways. 
beautiful and sign up for their newsletter because they're always having like deals and stuff going on they'll let you know when new products are coming out because they got a lot of new products like all the time so so check, check out, out humblebeherbal.com promo code crimeany20 at checkout for 20% off your first order go to humblebeherbal.com check it out check okay. it out Okay, I got my information from smithsonianmag.com, Wikipedia, and all things interesting. Um, I'm going to tell you the story about this dude, Iron, <laughs> uh, Iron Mike, or Mike the Durable, or the Rasputin of the Bronx. Why would you want to be the Rasputin of anything? Indestructible, bro. Was Rasputin indestructible? Yeah. Oh. Okay. So, or, you know, as his mama called him, Michael Malloy. <laughs> or I'm sure she just called him Mike Michael, unless he was in trouble. Mikey. And then, Mike. you know, he used all the names. And, yeah. You know, how that happens. And I don't know why yeah. What's why why it's so terrifying when you hear all three of your names. Because you never child. hear all three of your names <laughs> unless someone's really serious. It's <laughs> really serious. But this is about Mike. So, Mike Malloy was born in County Donegal, Ireland in 1873. You also did an old one. I did. But it's, yeah. Well, that's when he was born. And not much is known about his past other than he was a firefighter at one point, And then he ended up in New York um, during the 1920s and 30s. So, and he is famous for surviving a number of murder attempts on his life. (gasps) (laughs) All right, so let's set the scene. Is he a scrapper? He's scrappy as fuck. (laughs) It's early 1930s in the Bronx in New York, inside a little dingy, dark speakeasy. Yeah, it's got to be so depressing, The early, like the 30s in New York. Yeah. No jobs, everyone's broke No liquor, because it's prohibition in the 20s and early 30s. At least during our story, it's prohibition time. Okay. And uh, so, you know, Mike, sitting on his bar stool, throws back a drink, puts his glass on the bar, and just as soon as it hits the bar, the bartender refills it, and he slams back another one. And he's been doing this all day long, as he always does. He's always at this bar. Take it easy, Rasputin. (laughs) The bartender notes down every drink that, you know, he gives Mike because he's got a mile-long bar tab. Yeah, why why is he still being served? Well, I guess it was pretty common during this time. Um, Yeah, because no one had any money. Yeah, yeah. And, well, I say later, but in New York there were a bunch of speakeasies, so I think, like, there were just regulars that come to your bar. They're I like, don't... a promise of money is better than... I'll give you a promise. Absolutely nothing. Yep. And so as this common scene is taking place, there's a table on the other side. Oh, um, this... Okay, yeah, sorry. There's a table on the other side of the bar, and it sits the owner of the speakeasy, Tony Marino. So this is Marino's speakeasy. Mm. And with him is 27-year-old Francis Pasqua, who was an undertaker by trade, and oh. 29-year-old Daniel Kreisberg, who is a grocer and father of three. The three Sitting with the owner. Yeah. Okay. 
the three of what them. What a pair. Are, I mean, what a group. Yep. They're sitting there watching Mike ab- obliterate drinks one after the other. Every morning, Mike would come in and say, another morning's morning, if you don't mind. And then sit down and start drinking until he would pass out on the floor in the evening. Oh, my God. Every day. Wow. <laughs> and because this is a speakeasy, Tony wasn't making much money for his bootleg whiskey. And he didn't, because, you know, he didn't have any, like, jazz bands or form of entertainment to offer guests with more money. You don't so, really need that, though, do you? I mean, well, well the so higher, like, a lot of competition. the higher-end clubs had, right. like, things would attract the people with more money is what I'm saying, Women in skimpy clothes, yeah. music playing. A lot of high kicks and feathers is what I yeah. picture. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm picturing, too. <laughs> okay. And, um, but not that kind of high of kick. Cute the, bobs. You know, dancing and... high kicks not the nazi high kicks um (laughs) i was picturing like a little flapper yeah 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 yeah. okay good same page so lots of the customers were who were regulars at marino's had unpaid open tabs just like mike so tony's club was not fancy it was like I said, dingy little, uh, a little hidden, uh, I won't say gem because it wasn't, but like maybe Dive like a bar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the inside looked like, but I'm well, imagining you're talking like you do. <laughs> it was pretty dank and there wasn't much going on. I mean, they had no money. Right. Uh, they're losing money left and right. And Tony's like, oh, I really should start paying some bills around here. I need to make some money. Also, side note, I feel like an idiot because I just realized while I was reading the story or researching the story why they're called speakeasies. Why? <laughs> because they're secrets. So you had to yeah. speak easy, like the password. Yeah. You had to whisper it and stuff and kind of right. like hush, hush, speakeasy. Yeah. Right. right. You don't want the yeah. coppers to hear you. Right. Speak easy about yeah. it. Don't be like yeah, yelling yeah. about Say, it. Oh, yay, 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 yay. Speakeasy. Like that. (laughs) And and for anyone that genuinely doesn't know or was placed on Earth today, speakeasies are basically like hidden little bars, especially during Prohibition. And in the United States, we had a lovely Prohibition from the 1920s into the early 30s. Which Thanks for the history lesson. Was a dumb as fuck constitutional ban on production, importation, transportation, and sale of alcoholic beverages. Uh, weed. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Prohibition on anything. Uh-huh. Doesn't work. Yeah, no. And you, you know. Do it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Actually, that's what I wrote next. When you tell a bunch of people they can't have something they want, they find ways of doing it. And sometimes they're not the safest ways. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, you have people making questionable bathroom gin and stuff. Or the government putting poison in the alcohol to stop you from drinking it. And also, the government kind of fucked themselves over by having prohibition since they lost so much in tax revenues that Mm -hmm. could have helped during the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Wah, wah. But whatever. A bunch of religious hoo-hahs thought it Mm -hmm. would be fun to tell people what they can and can't do with their own bodies. Hmm. I mean, and they're still doing uh, it to this day. <laughs> Interesting. I think, I think some of them had good intentions in that alcohol was a few was fueling a lot of domestic yeah. violence. 
But a better way to solve domestic violence would be like education yeah. and like helping people with like stress reduction and, right. you know, yes. there are other ways to go about that. I think there some of them had good intentions, but I think that it went it's way not Life is not black and white. You can't go all <laughs> or nothing. It doesn't work that way. And you can't go all on the thing that's like not causing it. Yeah. Like I feel like yeah. people who have anger like, that's issues a symptom. need to find like tools to deal with their anger issues. Right. I don't know. That's just like, you know. Right, cuz again, if you have anger issues and you're using alcohol to cope, alcohol is not the problem. Right? <laughs> alcohol is a, a symptom a of the symptom. problem. Also, if maybe we taught people that all human beings mattered and women aren't objects, that could help hmm. too. But you know. Well, let's not do that. Let's not get let's, too hasty. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> Um, I mean, cause it's like, I don't know, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the religious people are thinking. Like, you know, you get up to heaven and God's like, Hey, remember that time you drank? Well, I was going to let you into heaven, but like, mm, I don't know. You like had some fun on earth. So I don't know. And also, I'm sorry, but heaven seems like the most boring place on earth. Cause like. Everything is made out of clouds, and it sounds really wet and not solid. Well, here's the thing. It depends on what religion you are, because if you're a Puritan, then you believe that life has to be miserable, and you got to be working all the time in order to get into heaven, and then in heaven, yeah. you get to relax, finally. Or if you're... Is it the Mormons that believe that you get to go to their own planet with your husband and sister wives? Yeah, I think some Mormons get a planet, definitely planet, do the sister cool. wife. Thing, or is that like a Scientology thing too? Uh, no, I don't, I don't know. know. Anyway, so we don't need to get into all that. So God's like, nah, you can't come in. Oh wait, those religious people stop your country from drinking. In that case, come on in. Your house is the hundred and tenth cloud on the Look, right. We all know that God is judgy <sighs> as fuck. Okay, so. Mm-hmm. Good luck so, trying to get into his exclusive club. Enjoy your cloud house that comes fully equipped with cloud stairs that you can never get to the top of because you keep falling through. And uh, here's your nice view of clouds. I feel like you wouldn't have a cloud house. I think everything's not out of clouds in my mind. <laughs> Do you think you're in like a human body still? Yeah. No. What? I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> your spirit is supposed to come out of your body. No. It's staying in mine. Your soul leaves. Hmm. The body is just like a vessel. Well, then I've got more research to do. Yeah, I you certainly do. I don't know why. Cloudville. <laughs> like, what you think heaven is is totally wrong, so. <sighs> well, okay, fine. Read the Bible. Okay. Hmm. Anyway, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so some fun facts about prohibition during this time. By 1925, there were anywhere from 30,000 to 100,000 speakeasies in New York City alone. Jesus Christ. I wonder how many bars there were. Beforehand? Yeah. A lot fewer. There were like way more. There was way more alcohol <laughs> to buy. Right. Um, and well, then, yeah, less regulation. You just like saturate the market because yep. literally everyone's making it. And then also, grape juice was not restricted by prohibition, even though it was allowed, or if it was allowed to sit for 60 days, it would ferment and turn into wine with a 12% alcohol content. Well, yeah, you can't outlaw grape juice. Many folks took advantage of this as grape juice output quadrupled during prohibition, 
uh, a specific brand called Vine Glow was sold for this purpose and included a specific warning telling people how to make wine from it. <laughs> Vine Glow, more like Wine Glow, mm-hmm. am I right? Wink. <laughs> and then t- Didn't you do the same with apple juice? Yeah. For like apple cider? Sure. Hard cider? Any fruit juice. Can you do like fruit? Yeah, any yeah. fruit juice. Yeah. Why? Why? Mm. Mm-hmm. Why don't we have like peach wine? Why don't you, you make know? it? Find out. Why don't you don't make you it? Make- <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go to the store buy a bunch of bottles of juice mm, and just, just let, let it them sit. sit for months. <laughs> hey, so if people have, you know, how people have like their bunkers or whatever, mm-hmm. if they've got like juice down there, it if they is. let it sit for like a year, you think it's like wine now? Ready to go. Fruit wine? Well, yeah, according to this, you only have to let it sit for 60 days. Yeah, but that was probably wine, like, before they were putting preservatives and shit in it, right? You mean grape juice? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> wine. You let your wine sit for 60 days and you get Becomes more wine? extra wine. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, as you kind of, like, brushed, not brushed, you kind of mentioned um, to prevent bootleggers from using industrial ethyl alcohol to produce illegal beverages, the wonderful federal government ordered the poisoning of industrial alcohols. In response, bootleggers hired chemists who successfully renatured the alcohol to make it drinkable. As a response, the Treasury Department required manufacturers to add more deadly poisons, including Mm -hmm. the particularly deadly methyl alcohol. And they yeah. knew that people were so dying, people died. and it wasn't yeah. preventing people from not drinking yeah. it. They just poisoned it more, causing they were just killing people. tons of deaths. Yeah. So, hooray, hooray, wow. Oh, you have alcoholism? Mm-hmm. Too bad, you're going to die. <laughs> Too bad. Courtesy of your own government that you're paying taxes to support. Yep. Then. But some states like Maryland and New York were like, we don't really want to do this prohibition thing. And since enforcement of the law lacked a centralized authority, I guess clergymen, like church dudes, were sometimes called upon to form vigilante groups to assist in the enforcement of prohibition. But other than that, that's why there were like a hundred thousand speakeasies in New York City because no one was like giving tickets and stuff. The cops were like, "No, we're not dealing with that." Because the religion, the church people were like, uh, "I'm busy having mass like every day for like twelve hours. I don't have time to police." Plus, it. the church also, people were allowed to have wine for their right, services. Right? Were they allowed to have yes. like their super alcoholic? So there wine? were cer- there were certain. I bet everyone was going to mass. Mass, and then doc- so, so doctors could prescribe alcohol still for things. Yeah. And and uh, and you were allowed to – it was weird. Like you could have alcohol at your home, but you couldn't yeah. buy it or sell it or get it from anywhere. It just had to have been there basically. Well, and that was kind of like the weed thing, right? Yeah. Like you couldn't buy it or sell it, but you, you could, could have, have personal it. use. And then, you couldn't grow it or whatever. Right. Whatever. And then yeah. um, you can have – I think it was like basically like under 3% like hard cider or beer or something at your house. Okay. But like that was it. So like a Budweiser or whatever? <laughs> Basically water. That's what I'm saying. So anyway, um, so I'm thinking, yeah, because there, because there wasn't a lot of laws, or because the law wasn't really being enforced in New York, and there were so many other speakeasies, I don't think old Tony Baloney, uh, and I, he wasn't like a part of a, a gang or a crime family, so he didn't, mm. he didn't have one of those like 
bustling establishments that you see in the movies. No one's breaking legs to get them to pay. No, not yet. Also, anyway. did did Catholic? Did everyone become Catholic? Yeah, they're like, days? I gotta go get my uh, Jesus blood. Definitely not wine. Definitely. Just like get back in line for communion. <laughs> like, I don't need the cracker. I don't need the cracker. You just go to like 8 a.m. mass, 9 a.m. mass, 10 a.m. mass. <laughs> just kind of like try and chug the glass as much yeah, as you can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're like, Probably. no, the cracker's just gonna sober me up. I don't want that. <laughs> no, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. Um. Anyway, Tony and Francis and Daniel are all talking about how they need to make some money. And Francis looks at Tony and he's like, why don't you just take out insurance on Mike? Um, I know you've done it before. (gasps) And he was talking about the year before when Tony befriended a houseless woman named Mabel Carson and convinced her to take a $2,000 life insurance policy, which is about $31,000 today. And she did so and, of course, named Tony as the beneficiary. And then one cold-as-fuck New York night, Tony fed her drink after drink until she passed out. And then he took her clothes off, doused her bed and all her blankets in water, pushed her bed against the window, opened the window up, put her in bed, and left her. And And froze her to death? She basically died of exposure. The medical, I know, the medical examiner listed the cause of death as bronchial pneumonia, so natural causes, and Tony was able to collect the money. So Tony thought about it for a second and then was like... Okay, no pudding and no signing any, like, life insurance policies. (laughs) No, uh, especially when you don't know this person. So, or even when you do. Yeah, let's just that's not be true. taking out life let's insurance not. policies. Mm-mm. It's like so sketchy. No, yeah. It's, um, and then, so he was like, yeah, you know, Mike Malloy, that guy's on his last leg. He's probably going to die soon. He's like basically drinking himself to death. He so. literally drinks all day, every day. That's all he does. So, I mean, it wouldn't take too much for him to accidentally die like Mabel. Then Francis and Tony looked at Daniel to see if he was in. Daniel could really use the money for his growing family because he's already got three kids. So he was like, I could use some money. He's a family man. Yeah. He could always use some money. So Francis set up meetings with some insurance agents and, you know, was trying to find one that would give them a policy. It took about five months for him to find someone who was just as crooked as they were. He's putting some real work in. Yeah. And this agent was willing to offer three policies, all offering double indemnity. Indemnity. So he's not just crooked. He's like rural crooked. <laughs> and double indemnity, I cannot say that. Indemnity. Double indemnity is a provision for payment of double the face amount of an insurance policy under certain, certain conditions like accidental death. Right. So you get double the payout if it was an accident. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, okay, I don't really quite understand why they did this, but they took the life insurance policies out under the fictitious name Nicholas Mellory, and they were able to get Mike to sign this policy by offering him unlimited drinks. <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> they were like, you know what? You know, this this tab... We're just going to crumple it up, and you can just drink as much as you want. Well, it'd probably be, like, way too traceable if it 
went if any of their names were on it, right? Well, no, I don't understand why they they said that his name was Nicholas Mallory. Oh, I thought they like put a fake name as their name. No, they said that he was Nicholas Mallory. Did they not know his name? I don't know. Maybe they didn't even know his name. No, I think they knew that he was Mike, but I'm not sure. And he like didn't really have any family or like friends or anything, so it's not like people would be like, "That's not." I don't know. Unless part of their plan was like, "Oh, sign this birthday card for Nicholas." <laughs> And he's like, cool, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and sign here, and sign here, and initial yeah. there, and sign here. <laughs> yeah. like, wow, birthday cards are getting very complex like, he, these days. Nicholas is so official. <laughs> he's a notary, so you know he's going to want to stamp this himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Tony was like, hopefully we'll just give him a bunch more alcohol, and he'll just, like, die of natural causes. Um. Or maybe, hopefully, he'll be, like, way more drunk, so he'll, like, trip and hit his head or something. Yeah. So for three days straight, as soon as his cup was empty, Tony would refill it and refill it and refill it. Day one went by, and Tony was helpful, hopeful, but the next day, like clockwork, Mike showed up to his designated bar stool. Day two went just like the first, drink after drink after drink. By the third day, Tony's arm was getting tired from pouring so many drinks. Dude's a pro. He's been <sighs> drinking, like, all day every day for how long, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he had hoped that that would do the trick, but right on time, the next day, Mike walks in, still alive and ready for more drinks. The only time he would stop drinking was to take a break for these delicious complimentary sardine sandwiches that Tony would provide him. Ew. Well, at least it's not pudding. Yeah, that's true. But never sardines or put. Just don't get... Well... I don't know. Is there like poison in these sandwiches or something? Well, not yet. I was going to say, if you're trying to get him to die of alcohol poisoning, why would you feed him? I don't know. So at this point, Tony is losing all kinds of money on the unpaid alcohol Mike was just putting away, not to mention those delicious sardines, which I'm sure were just a delight. Mm. When he was done for the night, he wiped his mouth off on his sleeve and left. God, that sleeve has got to smell so bad. <sighs> like stale beer and sardines. <laughs> the three men hoped he would choke on his vomit in the middle of the night or slip and fall outside and hit his head on the ground. Something. Anything. Anything. But no. Old Iron Mike came in on the fourth day saying... Boy, ain't I got a thirst. (laughs) (laughs) By this time, the murder trust, as the press later called them, had a few more men in on the life insurance scam. What? That is not a good idea. You're already having (sighs) trouble, like, following through, and now you're just going to add more people. Really need some help. You're just going to get less of a payout. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. And more people who know about it, more of a chance it's going to spill. Yeah, you're not speaking easy anymore. (laughs) A lot of shouting. A lot of shouting. One guy named Joseph Murphy, who was a bartender at Tony's bar, agreed that when Mike died, he would be the one to like identify the body. He was like, "Yeah, I'll pretend like I'm his brother, and I'll be, I'll like verify that it is Nicholas Mallory." Man, back in the day, you could get away with so much shit because they didn't have, like, any tracking on yep. you and, like, pictures where, like, convincing. some people didn't have any pictures taken ever. And uh-huh. 
Your ID would just be like typed up on a typewriter. Like, yeah, yeah. So if easy. you even had one at all, right. like it's just so. Right. You're just like my name is Nicholas Mallory or whatever he said it was, and they're like, okay, cool. Now we got For chips sure. in our pockets and GPS and people following us. Great. <laughs> there was also um, a guy named John McNally and Edward. Tin ear Smith, who had like a Ooh. fake ear, but it was actually wax, not tin, but they called him tin okay. ear. I don't know. And they also had this one guy named Tough Tony Bastoni <laughs> and his sidekick, Joseph Maglioni. Tony Bastoni with and Joseph Maglioni. Maglioni. Mm-hmm. Very Italian. Anyway, they were all growing impatient waiting around for Mike to die. That's way too many people. (laughs) Tony suggested that they just shoot him in the head. But Joseph Murphy suggested they exchange the real gin and whiskey Mike had been drinking with wood alcohol. Poison. Now, wood alcohol is also known as methanol and is highly toxic. Yeah. Just 4% wood alcohol can cause permanent blindness by destroying the optic nerve and can and will kill you. That's what that angel of death gave, put in that bottle, put in the bottle that his like partner gave to his brother or whatever, remember? Right. It was like wood alcohol. Yeah. And And it like killed him like instantly. Basically. Yep, it's really fucking toxic. Or they put them in a coma or something. use it to create fuel, solvents, and antifreeze. Oh. Methanol and ethanol, the drinking kind of alcohol, look and smell very similar. So they switched Mike's drinks with the poison. Not so just a little. So is alcoholism like part of the double indemnity clause or? Uh, no, it's, part, it's like accidental death. They want it to look like an accident, oh, basically. Oh, like alcohol poisoning? I think so. Oh, okay. Or, oh, yeah, like you said, like vomit, choked on vomit. Something kind of like that. Okay. Um. Yeah, like I said, they didn't just put, like, a little sprinkling of wood alcohol. Well, no. No, they straight up around. switched the alcohol. Just a big old glass yep. of... Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, so Joseph went to the local paint store and bought some wood alcohol and brought it back to the bar and served, Tony served Mike the first few drinks of the day with real alcohol to get him warmed up. And then he made the switch. Mike. But, like, if they taste so similar, then they wouldn't, he wouldn't know the difference. I'm thinking maybe if he started feeling sick right away, he would be like, he would be more suspicious than if it was like on his, you know, I don't know. Yes. I don't know. I don't know why you're wasting the good stuff if you're just trying to kill him. Oh. <laughs> Mike downed the first shot, and he was like, mmm, I'll have another. And then he was like, mmm, I'll have another. Mmm, I'll have another. He's literally drinking shots all day? Uh, yeah, like just sipping on Jesus whiskey or gin Christ. or whatever shots. Basically whatever alcohol was given to him, I think he was drinking. Oh. And, like, he seemed to just be getting drunk as usual, but there were no other side effects that anyone could notice. And he drank all the... He's got an iron stomach. He drank all... That's why he's called Iron Mike. Oh. (laughs) He drank all that he was served, and then he left to go find somewhere to sleep for the night. So, you know, they're like, great. He's going to be dead in the morning. We're going to have to, like, send out a search party for his body so we can identify him. I just wonder if, like, the... The regular, like, drinkable alcohol combined with the methanol did something. 
Oh, aren't you Mrs. Clever? Oh, really? Little chemist you. <laughs> but I'm not going to say because I didn't write that down yet. Oh, okay. you got to wait till the great okay. reveal. Okay. Uh, so fully expecting Mike to be dead since he drank way more than anyone basically could of this stuff. Yeah. The guys were shocked when Mike stumbled in the next day. Then, night after night, day after day, the same thing. Mike would come in, drink all he could drink of this wood alcohol, stumble out the door, come back in the next day for more. Oh, my God. Then one night as he was drinking, he suddenly fell to the floor in a crumpled heap. And the gang got excited and approached his body approached his body not approached he didn't they didn't approach it they just approached it you're so excited you forgot the a is i did and they're like oh he's he's dead he's this is it this is it we did it so they checked it's only been like three months and we (laughs) did it they checked for a pulse he had a faint pulse okay and he was still breathing but his breathing was really shallow and slow Uh And then they heard this really unnatural, horrible snoring sound. And they were like, oh, that must be the death rattle. (laughs) Nope. It was just Mike snoring. He had passed out and was very much alive. He napped for a few hours. unnatural snore sound? (laughs) I don't know. Like so disturbed. He napped for a few hours and woke up saying, give me some of the old regular, me lad. (laughs) They just slept it off at the at the bar. <laughs> the costs were going up for Tony and the boys between for the sure. open bar tab, the wood alcohol, the monthly insurance premiums, and the fish sandwiches. <laughs> they were afraid the speakeasy would go bankrupt. Francis had an idea. He knew that Mike loved seafood, as was evident Clearly. by him slurping down those sardines. Yeah. So Francis decided they should get oysters for old Mike, but soak oh. them in denatured alcohol first. So they went ahead and they did that. And as predicted, they're like giving this guy the best time. Yeah. They're like feeding free him like drinks, this, this great fish, food, oysters. free alcohol. Mike ate them all, savoring each one, washing them down with the wood alcohol. <laughs> the guys watched watched him from across the room, waiting for him to fall dead. But he just licked his fingers clean, burped, and asked for another drink. Like God damn, we just spent like hundreds of dollars on fucking oysters. At this point, the gang was getting really impatient. At this point, you could have just given him like a can of sardines and been like, here, enjoy. Now, with this many people in on their payout, or their payout wasn't going to be as big. So now it's less money. Sorry. Now it's less about the money and more about the challenge of killing this guy. (laughs) Joseph. Joseph Murphy came up with the next plan. He bought They're all taking turns. Yeah. He bought a tin of sardines. Yes. Okay. Left them open to rot for a few days. <gasps> then he chopped them up and mixed in some shrapnel. Just, you know, some shrapnel? bits of metal pieces. Jesus a few Christ. a few carpet tacks. He like grinded oh. up bits of the sardine can, put it in. Oh. He mixed the fish and metal and put it between two slices. (laughs) Yeah. He put it between two slices of bread. He was like, this'll do. And gave he gave it to Mike. And he said and uh, he 
sat back waiting for the metal pieces to start. Ron sardines and metal bits. Yep. And he was like, any time now those metal bits will rip through his organs and let him bleed internally. Why did he even rot the fish? Well, I don't know. Maybe he thought, couldn't hurt. Wouldn't it like (laughs) smell even like worse than sardines already smell? Well, I don't know, because Mike was like, mmm, that was so good. Can I have another? <laughs> ah. <laughs> this Poor guy is probably like, oh, my God, I have the best friends. Yeah. They're, like, always feeding me and hanging out. Yeah. We're, like, always chilling at the bar together, <laughs> buying me drinks and shit. <laughs> at this point, the gang called an emergency meeting. At the meeting, they were like, what the fuck is with this guy? Why won't he die? And then Tony was like, you know, I did have success with old Mabel freezing her to death. Maybe we just have to freeze him to death. So the next day, they got Mike as drunk as they usually did with his poison alcohol. Only this time, after he passed out at the bar, they loaded him up into Francis's car and drove him to Crotona Park. They lugged the passed out Mike through heaps of snow until they got to a park bench. Then they stripped off his shirt and dumped five gallons of water on him. He didn't even wake up. Then Francis and Tony left and went home for the night. The next morning, Tony... How do you not wake up with that much water being poured on you? He's that passed out drunk. Fuck. The next morning, well, he, they carried him into a car, carried him through heaps of snow, put him on a bench, dumped water on him. I mean, I feel like I could sleep through people carrying me, but I couldn't sleep through that much water. Be- That's like a lot of water. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of water. Don't they usually like, they like put water on people like sober up, you know, you shove them in the shower and pour the water on so you can like wake them up. Mm, well, it didn't work for him. Okay. So the next morning, Tony showed up to his speakeasy. And he was like, all right, today's the day we cash in. And he, like, like went... Whistling a tune. Whistling, yep. Yeah, and he goes down to tune. his basement, and he finds old Mike half frozen in the basement. Somehow, after they dropped him off in the park, he managed to find his way back to the bar. And, like, someone let him in, and then he, like, slept in the basement for the rest. Um, and he, he only complained of a wee chill... this guy is unbelievable oh i'm fine i've just got a wee chill (laughs) february rolls around and another payment on the policy was due they all discussed their options and one guy how long has it been at this point it's been months (laughs) months um okay John Maglioni suggests that they hire his friend harry green who was a cab driver and he was like, you know, old Harry could accidentally hit him with the <laughs> cab. Yeah, well, then they have another person in on it all. And, yeah, but Harry was going to want about $150 of the insurance payout. And they were like, well, we I don't know if we have any other options. So one Sounds night. Sounds like they already ta- <laughs> he already talked to him anyway. Yep. It's like he can back out now. <laughs> so one night after Mike was passed out, they all got into Harry's cab with Mike at their feet. They oh drove God. They drove a few blocks, and then Tony Bastoni and Joseph Murphy dragged Mike down the road. When they were far enough away for the car to get some speed, they each took an arm uh, and stood Mike up. 
and then Harry gunned the engine and headed right for Mike. <gasps> Mike somehow in his drunken stupor managed to leap out of the way. <laughs> Not once, but twice. <laughs> wow. Then, like they say, third time's a charm, because the third attempt, uh, Harry actually hit Mike. He was doing about 50 miles an hour. Damn. And they heard two thuds. One was Mike's body hitting the cab, and the second Damn. from his body hitting the ground. Oh. Harry then backed over his body just to be sure he was dead. Oh, my God. A passing car scared them, so they all jumped into the cab and drove away, leaving Mike's body in the road. The next day, Joseph Murphy, who was, like, you know, going to claim that, you know, or identify the body. Right. So Joseph Murphy began calling morgues and hospitals in an attempt to locate his quote-unquote missing relative, Nicholas Mellory. Mm-hmm. But there were no unidentified bodies, <laughs> and nobody had heard of a fatal accident the night before. Mm-hmm. So they're all like, Fuck. <laughs> At least that's what I think they thought. Like, when is he going to turn up again? <laughs> they decided that they would just have to find another poor, unsuspecting soul to be Nicholas Mellory so they could cash in. Okay. Three weeks had gone by, and there was no body, so they couldn't claim the insurance Whoa. money. Couldn't, like, where the fuck is Mike? As they were discussing who they could off... In walks a limping and battered-looking Mike. (laughs) He looked only slightly worse than usual, and he said, I sure am dying for a drink. Oh, my God. (laughs) He told the guys that he had a crazy night a couple weeks ago. He couldn't remember much. He just remembered drinking, and then the cold night's air, and lights coming towards him, and then blackness. And then he woke up in a hospital bed. Apart from a fractured skull and a broken shoulder, he was good as new and ready to drink. (laughs) Jesus Christ. You'd think they'd get him, like, as passed out as he was that one night and then just, like, drive over him. Yeah, you would would think. But no. Finally, on February 23rd, 1933, the gang managed to kill Mike. Oh, no. Joseph Murphy had rented a room in a tenement near 168th Street, less than a mile from the speakeasy. The murderers dragged Mike's passed out body to the bed, and then they managed to put one end of a rubber tube from a gas light into his mouth, and a towel was wrapped tightly around his face. He died of carbon monoxide poisoning. The death took less than an hour. And, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And a crooked doctor you friend. You mean the death took like three, seven it, it, months. It took like, <laughs> si- yeah. It took like six months and an hour. <laughs> a crooked doctor friend of Francis's forged Mike's death certificate with the name Nicholas Mellory and uh, also put that the death was uh, pneumonia, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so the gang received an $800, which is about. $16,434 today. Um, they got that payout from one of the life insurance policies from Metropolitan Life Insurance. And oh. then when they went to collect the money on the ins- um, on the insurance uh, policy from Prudential Life Insurance, that's when things started to fall apart. Y- you see, Prudential Life Insurance wasn't just going to pay out money to anyone. 
they wanted to do their own investigation to make sure that all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted and all the dead people were who they were supposed to be and that they died from what the death certificate said. Right, I feel like they usually do an uh investigation. So Prudential was like, all right, that's all well and good. We'd like to see the body now for our own investigation. Uh-huh. And then Francis was like, whoops, we already buried the body. So sorry. There's nothing we can do about that. And then Prudential was like, hmm, interesting. We'll just call the authorities and have the body exhumed. Yeah, you like you say you cremated it. <laughs> well, they didn't. They didn't cremate him, which is like, what the fuck? Stupid. So, that probably cost more money and they didn't even have true. any. They're like so out of money at this point. They like, can't you, afford anything. Would you accept some wood alcohol? Did they even pay? Did they pay to bury him? Like that's insane. I guess they like gave him a real funeral. Like shit. Now we're like even more in debt than we've ever been. (laughs) We just had to cover a funeral cost and like a coffin. Oh no. So like I said, the forged death certificate said that Mike or Nicholas had died of pneumonia, but the new autopsy revealed that was a lie. Harry Green, the cab driver who had hit him before, was unhappy with his cut of the money, so he yeah, started course. singing like a bird to the yeah. coppers. See, that was just dumb. <laughs> mm-hmm. Police then found out about old Mabel and her untimely death and how Tony was the sole beneficiary beneficiary mm-hmm. for her life insurance policy. On a separate note, uh, tough Tony Bastoni was shot dead and Joseph... Oh. Maglioni was charged with his murder. <gasps> Tony Bastoni was killed by his friend Maglioni? Yep. So. That's so wrong. There's <laughs> a lot going on these days. Aww. Before long, there was enough. Well, then that's Bastoni and Maglioni are out of the out deal of, then. Yeah, that's do less. To, well, they're not getting mm. any money anyway because they're fucked. Well, that's true. They already paid for a funeral. So. <laughs> Before, and those oysters. Yeah, God. Oysters, sardines. Jeez. Probably gave like a lobster feast. You know, they're like, probably, why won't he die? He probably had a good life towards the end. They were treating him to. He was living his best life. Before long, there was enough evidence to arrest Tony Marino, Francis Pesqua, Daniel Kraisberg, and Joseph Murphy. At first, they all claimed insanity, but yes. when that didn't work, they all blamed each other. Yes. And then, after finding out that Tony Bastoni had been killed, they blamed it on him. Of course. None of that worked in their favor. They were all charged and convicted of first-degree murder. In June and July of 1934, the four of them were executed via old Ooh. Sparky, the electric chair at Ooh. Sing Sing Prison. Harry Green, the cab driver, escaped execution but was sent to life in prison. And the doctor who doctored the death certificate was held as an accessory after the fact with a $10,000 bail. I'm not sure what his punishment was after that. Michael Malloy was not only known for being the most stubborn murder victim, his murder case was also one of the first to be investigated by the New York City Medical Examiner's Office. And then, like you brought up before, a theory about why Mike didn't die from the wood alcohol is the fact that ethanol blocks absorption of ethylene glycol in the liver and is used as an antidote for antifreeze poisoning. So he had so much ethanol in his system at all times and built up over the years that it worked as an antidote to the poisoning attempts. 
Wow. <laughs> so alcoholics are immune to antifreeze poisoning. I guess. Wow. That's crazy. Right? So whenever someone gives you pudding, just drink a bunch of alcohol with it just in case. <laughs> well, it only works with the with the wood alcohol or the uh, ethylene Or glycol. antifreeze, though. But antifreeze, antifreeze is supposed yeah. to be, like, all sweet. So they put yeah. it in, like, you know, people poison you with, like, sweet pudding. tea or pudding. So mm-hmm. if you're ever drinking any sweet tea, just, put some alcohol in there. Just pack your own lunch. You know, just drink alcohol. <laughs> Just in case. Just to drink a bunch of alcohol. It's preventative. It is. It's it, well. It, doctors recommend it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so. Wow. I think, That's so interesting. Poor Mike. And they were calling him like old Mike, like always on his last leg, and they were like, he's like sixty. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Dude's so, fucking old. But I guess he was just like, you know. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't looking great. No, because he was houseless and he was drinking twenty four seven. Yeah. But I don't think he's in great shape. Poor Mike. Oh, that was a crazy story. The tossed salad and the scrambled egg. A tossed salad, a scrambled egg. I think, yeah, they're all tossed salads. Money hungry yeah, bitches. Yeah, for sure. Looking for easy handout, but it wasn't so easy, was it? Yeah, I'm glad he gave them a run for their money that mm-hmm. they didn't even get in the end. Y'alls. All right. You ready for crime any sakes? Let's do it. And now for the portion that we like to call crime any sakes, where we tell you silly stories about crime that make you forget the terrible things we just told you. So this one comes from Reader's Digest, and it takes place in Hungary. I just think that's the weirdest name. What? I know you're like digesting the information or whatever, oh. but it's just like so weird. Yeah. It makes <laughs> me think of like stomach acid and paper. Yeah. And yeah, like witch digest- skin books. Sting. Ew. <laughs> You don't ah. eat books. Well, if you're digesting it. Readers digest. Ooh. Okay. Anyway, Good. in Hungary, a woman. Uh, speaking of digest. Mm. Hungry. Get it? <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, this woman tried to rob a grocery store with a can of gas spray as her weapon of choice. Luckily, the What's shop. gas spray? Well, luckily, the shop assistant realized it was just deodorant. <laughs> she had like a like an aerosol can yeah, yeah. and was like, "This is gas, gas spray. I'm gonna spray you with gas." And it was deodorant. <laughs> I'm like, I can see it says deodorant right on the can. Literally says deodorizer. <laughs> mm. You just picked that up right in front of me off a shelf. <laughs> okay, and then this one is the same source. Takes place in the United States. Using a wheelchair to, to escape the scene of a crime doesn't sound sensible, but a Texan duo thought it might be worth a try. <laughs> Naomi Dushin attempted a knife-point robbery at a jewelry shop while her accomplice, Luis, uh, Luis del Castillo, waited outside with the getaway vehicle, the wheelchair. Dushin- he waited outside. <laughs> He's like, like, when they're like, also, oh, keep the keys in the ignition well, kind of thing, I mean, he like... I'm assuming, the I'm assuming it's an electric one. They don't specify. Um, those don't go that fast, do they? I don't think so. 
Uh, Dushin also lived opposite the shop. So, so there's a wheel right across, across the street. The street. And uh, she was They're ta- like, keep the brakes off. She I'll was be out a second. Tackled by a customer before she and before they were able to make their slow escape. By a customer, mm-hmm. even. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep the key in the ignition. Keep the brakes off the wheels. Mm, yeah, don't put that emergency brake on. You got to be ready to go. You Pop do. the clutch. Let's go. Put your little fingerless gloves on. Get your hands on those wheels. Oh, yeah, we're going right across the street. Yeah. <laughs> you could run faster. <laughs> right? You would assume. She's going to, like, jump on. He's <laughs> going to, like, peel out. I mean, unless they're just, like, super obese or something and they can't run know. faster. I don't know. Wasn't much information given. Same with this one from the same source, Reader's Digest. Timothy Baker was back in Waco, Texas... After he escaped, uh, oh, sorry. Timothy Baker <laughs> was back in jail in Waco, Texas, after he had escaped while being held for aggravated robbery. His, his getaway had taken him to Baylor University, where he broke into a building in order to find a change of clothes from his, from his orange jumpsuit. The building was the Fine Arts Center where Baker raided a costume closet. Oh, God. He apparently thought that he would be inconspicuous if he changed into a 19th century green (gasps) wool outfit with rubber galoshes that made him look like a quote-unquote leprechaun, according to the Waco Sheriff. That's the outfit he picked? (laughs) Baker was spotted on the street and rearrested, said the chairman of the theater department. He just really stood out. <laughs> I'm assuming there are more costumes. That's the that one he, he went with. <laughs> he like took the whole outfit too. It wasn't just like you know pants from this to like probably like a like, green top hat and like. He's like, look, if they think that I'm a leprechaun, they will not try to arrest me because I will yeah, use my I mean, leprechaun powers. I'm not the guy you're looking for. Obviously, I'm just a regular leprechaun. I'm <laughs> just your average on a Saturday Waco, Texas leprechaun. Yeah, just minding my business, doing my leprechaun <laughs> things, looking for my pot of gold, you tricking know. people. It's just you know doing my mm-hmm. thing. Oh my god. So well. Well. Wow. Mm-hmm. On that note, tune in next week. Check out our sponsor, Humblebee Herbal. Get yourself something nice. Get someone else something nice. Check them out at humblebeeherbal.com. Use code CRIMEWINNY20 at checkout to get yourself something special. Yeah, and rate, review, subscribe. We've been doing this for a year now, people. Woo! Woo! And we're going to keep going for who knows how long. So keep joining us every week. Write us something at crimeanypodcast at gmail.com. Check in with us. We will post another episode next week. And we will talk at you later. Next week. Later. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. You must begin to eat pudding, and you must buy me a small cheese. What a pushy little bitch. And eat every bit of it. Eat your pudding proudly.